Genesis chapter 3. Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see you guys. Um, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 3, and then I'm going to go back to chapter 2, and then tomorrow we'll go back to chapter 3 again, okay? So Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Now, this, well, actually, okay. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, the last verse 25, and then chapter 1, and then uh, uh, you guys shall see how it fits. Okay, so 2, chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, there was no sin, there was no fallenness, there was no brokenness. They were naked and unashamed. And then in verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay. Um, and so I want you to see here, um, we talked a little bit about work. I, I briefly mentioned it. I said I wanted to get back to that. And so that's why we're going to go back to chapter 2. Um, I want you to see here real quickly that it's, you know, we know that the scriptures tells us that the enemy's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so even within the first chapters, the first accounts, uh, God has created this garden. God has created man and woman. And the enemy comes to distort, to steal, kill, and rob. And so, you know, twists. Twists the words of God. Twists your perception of God. So if you've ever struggled about whether you thought God was good, if you ever wondered, is God trustworthy? You know, you know, you know, you've read, you've heard. Or, but then you see like a, a Christian and, oh, well, that person doesn't live like... And so that distorts. Or, or maybe, you know, as a child you went to church and your parents were believers, but they weren't very good believers. You know, on the outside, they, you know... And so it's, it's distorted, your, your idea. Um, and so, you know, yesterday I talked a little bit uh, briefly about work the first couple of days. And so, you know, it, it may have been, it was maybe news to some of you guys that work was not a result of the fall, right? You're like, oh man, when I get to heaven, there's going to be no work uh, because work is a result of sin or, 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 you know, brokenness or fallenness. But the scriptures is clear. They had responsibility. They had jobs. Adam was given a responsibility to name and to nurture and to care uh, uh, for all those things. So work... Uh, is, is something, it's, it's a blessing, you know, to be productive, to create, right? Isn't, isn't that beautiful? And, and Adam had that job to, to create, to create names, to cultivate, to, to, to take care of, to nurture. And so if you ever thought work was because of sin, and so because of sin now we have to work, that's, that's not true. God created it. It's actually good, right? But what the enemy does just like we saw here in the first verse of chapter 3, is what does he does? He takes what is good, he takes what God has created, intended for good, and then what does he do? He distorts it. Right? And so work after the fall, even though something implemented, a gift even, was distorted, and it became, it became something else. Same thing with love. Right? If no one has ever told you this before, and, and, and we have this talk, I, I, I mentioned briefly, you know, about, about our kids and and I encourage people, you know, when I, when I do my uh, EG course, uh, ex uh, experiencing God, which is going to start uh, first weekend of uh, first week of February. Um, and so, if you've if you've already taken GIC, please do sign up for EG. Uh, it's a it's a great course. Um, but if you've never heard this before, right? Um, I think especially in an Asian culture, it's so hush hush when we talk about sex and reproduction and, and things like that, right? 
um, I want you to know that God created sex. It was God's idea. It was God's invention. God created man. And God created woman. And God designed something that would, outside of a normal, you know, a, a, a platonic or, or, or friendship, you know, phileo relationship, God created something that would draw two people together in such a way, with, with such love, with such commitment, and as a byproduct of that would come a child. And so I want you to know that God created man and woman. And so it's quite fascinating if you think about it. Within the second chapter, you know, verse 19, we give the account. God gives the account. His, his intention, his master plan, you know, created man and woman, you know, created them in, in, in their image. And then in this, in this day and age, you know, for humanity and, and for popular thought or, 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 or intellect to come to this place where, I, not so much here maybe in, in, in Singapore, but in the United States, where on college campuses they can't even have debates. They can't, you know, college campuses were the places where you brought all your ideas and thoughts and you could debate, you know, the modern things and, 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 and movements, uh, uh, you know, of some of the biggest movements of, of uh, 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 human rights and things were, were all birthed out of these college campuses and, and, and places where people could talk. And now today you go to an, a campus in America and you can't even talk about what a woman is. You can't have a debate. You might get fired if you say a woman is this. So there's actually a Netflix documentary and if you watch, it's called, it's called uh, uh, Woman or, or She. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get the uh, accurate name. There's an interviewer interviewing a professor and a PhD and he's asking, what is a woman? Define a woman. And the guy's like, like what is this? Like, did someone put you up to this? And, and, and can't say what a woman is. And, and you know, for all the legal ramifications, for all the uh, uh, being, you know, being canceled, uh, and then, and then the same documentary. You go to like a, a tribe in a third world, and you know, what is a woman? <laughs> and they start laughing. You know, oh well, you know, has certain body features. You know, can birth a baby. You know, can can nurture and and and, and things like that. And so, um, God created sex. God created man. So think about this for a second. If you can convince the world that there is no man, if you can convince the world. This argument that there is no woman, that it's neutral, that there's gender, then you can pretty much say God doesn't know what He's talking about within the first foundational statements of scriptures. Within the first two chapters, I just told you yesterday God is authority, day one, right? Uh, first day, He's the source, He's the one that decides what is light and what is dark. He's the one, you know, His authority and power, right? And He's the one who said that, you know, let there be man, let, let there be in our image, and then let there be woman, right? Uh, created out of, out of uh, Adam's rib. If you can discount the fact, if you can get society culturally to adopt and to, to uh, uh, take in other people's values and, and, and worldwide get to this place where there is no gender, there's no man, there's no woman, you've discounted the scriptures. You've discounted the authority of God. There is no God. Isn't that, isn't that so divisive? Isn't that so, so shrewd of the enemy? I, I mean, maybe I can't disprove God, but if I can disprove what, what people think in their hearts, you know, uh, uh, their own value systems, you know, they're the ones that decide what is right and what is wrong. They're the ones that decide what is light and what is, what is dark. They're the ones that decide what is man and what is woman. You dethrone the seat of authority. Why? Then we get to the seat of authority. Then we determine. We're the absolute truth. Right? We make the final call. In your, in your marketplace, in your homes, right? in your relationships, you know, what is, what is not. 
you are the final say. You make the final call. And so if you can, if you, there's so many subtle ways to usurp the authority of God, even within the church. If you can say that, that if you, if, if you, you know, maybe this isn't something you would have thought 10 years ago or 15 years ago. You know, if you see the battle, the, the battle lines of family and family values and gender, you know, every 10 years or so, the line is pushed, the envelope is pushed just a little bit further, right? And so maybe this is something you would have said 10, 15 years ago, but today it's like, yeah, of course, I got friends, I got people, I got communities, makes sense to me, you know, love wins kind of a thing. And so, so now you get to the point where, yeah, we shouldn't make a distinction between men and women, right? I, I, again, I, I don't know that it's such a hot topic here, um, but I, I guess I could say this, it will be. Right, it, the 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 lines just keep getting pushed, you know, further and further. So it will be. So, so God created sex. God created it in the parameters of a marriage. In that construct, you know, it's life giving. Anything outside of that, it's 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 harmful, right? And so the enemy comes, and whether it's work, something that God created, he takes it and then he can distort it. Whether it's sex, something that God created, a gift for a man and a woman who make that commitment, the enemy comes. And then what does he do? Right? So it's not the devil. The devil wishes he could create something so beautiful. He can't. He can't create it. God created it. But what he can do is he can distort it. If I can just get it into the minds of all the young people, of all the believers, you know, that it's something hush-hush, it's something shameful, it's something, you know, uh, impure. It's not. It's beautiful. Sex is incredible. If you follow it intended in the way that God had designed Right? So once again, whether it's work or whether it's relationship, and you'll see a lot of things like that. There's a lot of things that God has intended that are good. You know, Tim Keller says, an idol, something we worship that, that draws us away from God, you know, like it's clear the things that are sinful. It's clear the things that are bad that we give our hearts to and it takes us away from God. But this is what Tim Keller says. He says, oftentimes idols are good things. Idols can be things that God gave you. God blessed you with. I love you. You know, I want to gift you with this. And so, and, and so we recognize maybe in the beginning that this is from God. You know, children or a job or whatever, or health. We recognize it's from God. It's so good. But then we start to idolize it. We start to make it take the center stage. You know, our bodies, it, it becomes more important than our spirit, right? Our, our children becomes more important than our time with God, right? And so an idol oftentimes is a good thing, oftentimes that God has given that we somehow unknowingly, if we're not careful, elevate above God. Our time commitments, our, our values, you know, certain thresholds. I'll, I'll do this, but if it, if it comes to this point, God, you know, you know I, I hope you understand, but I can't make that commitment kind of a thing. An idol is something that is good, that God has given, that if it's elevated above God, becomes the ultimate thing, is then a sin. So a child, or a job, or your health, or whatever it is you love that God has given you, it's good. God has blessed you with it. But if it becomes the ultimate thing, he says, if it becomes a thing you cannot live without, it has effectively become an idol. It's become more important to you than God. So you want to do some soul searching and some self-checking. Is there anything in my life that is good? I mean, you know, the things that are not pleasing to God, pray about it. And if, you know, ask the Lord, is this not pleasing to you? Uh, even if it's not, not pleasing, is it, is it the best thing? Is it not edifying? You might want to Now's a great time, beginning of the year, to sort some of that stuff out and, and, and cut some of that stuff out. But also take inventory. Is there good stuff God has given you that you have elevated, that has become the ultimate thing? You know, in, in your mind, you just, just do a soul check. Like, oh, do I really think that without this I can't live without? Then, then 
that would be a good litmus test to kind of rejig or reorder our hearts. Okay, going back to uh, uh, work now. Okay, so we understand that work is from God. It's a good thing. Um, and so, you know, God created, you know, created six days. And on the seventh day, verse 1, verse 2, thus in chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God was working, right? Before the fall, before sin. It's a good thing. There's something, he made us in a way to be creative, to be productive, you know, to work with our hands. It feels good to accomplish, you know, to build a project, you know, a, 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 a do-it-yourself at home or something, or, you know, if, if you like to draw or, and, and crafts and arts, and when you complete something, it feels good, Right? We're made to create. We're made to produce. It, it, it's part of who we are. God, in the opening chapters, is working. He's creating. He's making things. And it's beautiful. And he says it's good. And after he created a man and woman, he says it's very good. When we looked at everything, he said it's very good. And then on the seventh day, the scriptures is very clear that God rested. That God rested from his work. The scripture says this, one, that God was pleased with his work. Amen? God was pleased. How many of us, we work and we work and we work and after the week goes by or after two weeks goes by, we are not pleased. We are so not pleased. We don't even like this job. <laughs> right? Like, you know, and even if you like it, like, it can be so stressful. Um, it is a gift. Listen, listen. It is a gift from heaven above. If you have figured out, if you have figured out how to work five days, six days, and then completely stop. Listen, this, this is relevant, right? This is, you know, uh, I think Singapore, Hong Kong, Asia in general uh, insane work hours, you know, the commitments that you guys make just off the charts globally. Um, and, you know, we've all read the studies and things of, you know, uh, uh, emotional happiness and well-being and, 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 you know, South Korea, Japan, Singapore ranks some of the lowest in the world, right? We, we have a lot of resources, but we're not happy, but we, we're like, we love working. We love making ourselves miserable. <laughs> That's what we're good at, right? Um, and so it says that God worked, he stopped, check this out, he worked, he stopped, he was pleased. He looked back at what he did and he's like, man, this is good. And then after he said, this is good, huh, laid, laid back, you know, is my interpretation, and he just rested. He rested on the seventh day. He didn't think about work, he didn't, he didn't well, should I tweak things a little, this, you know, kind of, he just, he completely, he was pleased, and then he would rest it. How many of you guys would give, you know, your left arm or, you know, to feel so at peace and pleased with what you're doing? Such, so much that on Sunday or Saturday, you could actually rest. How many of you guys, let's be honest, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand, just ask yourself, you're never at rest. It doesn't matter how many days you get off. It doesn't matter where you, you're never 
Your mind never shuts off. Never. Like you could be on vacation, planned for a whole year. You're on your phone. You're still thinking. You're still, you know, respond. You, you, you're, you're, you, you don't shut down. You fall asleep, but you don't shut down. Right? You get tired of thinking and then you fall asleep. But you don't actually turn off and you don't actually, you're not, you're not getting any rest. Dude, you, you're, you're destroying. We're, we're, we're abusing the temple, the body that God, God has given us. So God gives us a blueprint. And if you want to know, you know, what, what that's like and what it means. And so, so, you know, I asked this question just a moment ago. Are you pleased? You know, after you, know, you hit the weekend Friday, like, are your thoughts completely tied to what you have to do on Monday all through Saturday and Sunday, right? You can't make commitments. You can't meet friends. You can't, you know, meet family, you, you know, uh, uh, ministry and church and things like that. Um, so then here's a question. Here's a question for you this morning. What is, what is true rest? Pastor Sam, this rest you're talking about sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, do you have some? Can you give me some? Yeah, I, I can give you some, right? Um, what, what is true rest, right? It's, it's very important that we understand the value of the Sabbath. It's very important that we understand and model if, if God, right, who is the infinite source of energy, says it's good and he stops and he rests, I don't know how to say this any simpler, but we're not, you know, we, we have to take, we have to learn from him. You know, we're, we're not, we don't have a greater infinite source of energy, you know, than he does. And if we don't rest, but he does, what, what does that say about ourselves? And so we have to set aside. We have to be intentional. You have to set aside time to cut off, to shut off, to not think about the stressful things at work and to spend time with God. Obviously, you do that daily. You do that regularly. But there needs to be a time where we find this place, this Sabbath, you know, Saturdays, Sundays. Um, rest, let me say it another way. Rest isn't just not working, right? So a lot of us think that, oh, okay, it's the weekend, it's Saturday, Sunday, time for family, time for church. You know, we, we think rest is, okay, I won't work anymore, right? But we all know, even if we don't go into the office, even if we don't check that phone, that oftentimes, honestly, even for myself, you know, I, I try so hard to get all my sermon prep and everything done, you know, Thursdays, Fridays, and I, I tell you, it's a lifetime of a struggle. I cannot... I cannot not help but think about what I'm going to, you know, say or teach or fine-tune on a Saturday. And, and oftentimes, and I, and, and I don't have to be looking at the computer, you know. I don't, have to be on the, I don't have to be doing research. I don't have to be doing reading and commentaries. I mean, I could be in a room with my whole family with nothing on me, and, and the whole time I'm just, my mind is just, you know, should I say it this way or, you know, at this point, or does that make sense? You, you know, you guys hear what I'm saying? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't shut off, even if I'm not in the office, even if I'm not on my computer. It, it, it just doesn't shut off. And that, that wears, that wears down on me, it wears down on my family. It wears down on me spiritually. Um, for me, you know, Mondays is, is sacred. I don't meet nobody. I hardly, I might respond to a staff or to a board, and that's it. I seldom ever respond to anybody on a, on a Monday. And I just dedicate that time to Annie and to my precious kids who are in school half the day. So it's a really wonderful, it's a really wonderful. And, and Mondays, you know, the malls are all, you know, everyone's at work. So it's, I, I get the whole Singapore to myself, you know. So I, I really, it, it's a blessing, you know. You know, there's two sides to the, to the coin. Um, but let me say this, rest 
is not just stopping to work, right? Because I just told you, even if I'm not in the office, even if I'm not, I'm not behind the you know, computer, the, the thoughts. This is, what, this is what Tim Keller says. Keller says this. When we cease to strive, that's when we can find true rest. So you, 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 you know, have this project, you, you send in this assignment, but then all through the weekend you're wondering, you're thinking about it, you're, 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 you, you can't rest because you, you want to advance. You know, there's one more page you can do. There's a few more touch-ups, certainly in my sermon or in your assignment. There's, there's always one or two or three, right? One or two or three little more things you could do just to make it a little bit better. And that's the trap. That's, that's the you haven't ceased striving, right? They have computer games. They're called, they're literally called just one more click, right? It's literally designed, the, the computer game, you know, the, the addiction. It's literally designed so that when you play this game and you want to shut down, the thought, just, just one more click, just one more advancement, just one more, you know, production. And that's how they get you. It's just one more click, just two more clicks, and then I'll go to bed. And that never ends. It's perpetual. So even though you leave the office, even though your project is, you come home, in your mind, it's just one more click. You haven't ceased striving. Why? Because there's something in you. It's all tied to identity. Chapter 1, God says who you are. He proved himself on the cross. You're wanted. You know, it's all tied to I'm not enough. I have to advance. I have to be better. As long as we are not secure in our identity in God, we will always have the urge for one more click. You know, just one more bonus. You know, one more breakthrough. Did you guys hear what I'm saying? You, we, we can't stop. It's, it's there. Why wouldn't we take it? Why It's there for us to take. Why wouldn't we take it? because we cannot cease striving. You don't think God could have done more? You don't think God could have added a seventh day and an eighth day and a ninth day and we'd be blown out of our minds? He stopped, it was good, it was good. And so this is, this is what God wants. God, God wants you to be secure. You don't need, I mean, if you get it, it's a blessing, but at what cost, right? You, you have to have a, you know, a, a definitive line and a cost. Um, of course you can do more. Of course we can always do more. But it is a blessing to be able to say, like, this is enough. I have all that I need. Man, I'm blessed. I have a, I have a, a, a mentor, not mentor, but an a elder. When, when I was a teenager, uh, this person was an elder or leader in the church. And uh, you know, he, he had created his own secret sauce, teriyaki sauce, in, in, in Southern California. His shop was taking up. I mean, we love going. We go there all the time. And uh, he, he finds someone that wanted to invest in his bottle and, and, and franchise his, his, his uh, restaurant. Um, and, and it just started. He got all these investors. He just started, uh, opened up, you know, a, a, a very shop. And um, after about like a year into it, he realized, oh, my gosh, I can do all this. But then I don't have time to go to my kids like sports games. I don't have time to be with them. And so he literally just said, no, it's not worth it. He literally said, I don't want a franchise. I don't want to, I'm just going to keep with this one thing. I want to spend time with my family. You know, what, what is enough? What, where is that place where we can say we're pleased? 
Um, so the scriptures reminds us of this. The Sabbath, listen, you, as you start off the new year, and as I'm thinking for you guys, you know, for the whole year, if we don't cultivate, if we are not intentional about not just taking a day or two off on the weekend, but emotionally, mentally cutting off, ceasing to strive, you know, being emotionally present, you know, with God, with one another. I think like most of us, you know, by the end of the year, we, we kind of burn out. Um, a lot of you guys define rest like this. You work your butt off, you give everything physically, emotionally, even spiritually. And then at the end, I'll make it all up, you know, with a 10 day excursion or a 14 day excursion where, I, you know, where, where I just really treat that. It doesn't work that way. Right. That that that's not rest. Right. That that's that's impulse. So what is true rest and how do you guys experience it? Cut out time cut out time on a weekly basis weekly basis where you can just recharge you know maybe that's music for you maybe that's the gym for you maybe that's going for a walk do something you love disconnect just for yourself in a few hours you know half a day you know you know with your you know a uh, uh, spouse or, or with a kid or with, with a with a best buddy just just get that time where you're not where you're not where you're forced to not be able to think about work um, once a month or once every couple months, take one or two days off if you can, you know, and just recharge. I did that towards the end of last year, the last couple months, and uh, it, it's, it's, it revitalized me. Just spending time with God, spending alone time with God. You know, once a year, totally disconnect. Like, leave, if you could, leave your phone, leave your data, shut down. Create these rhythms in your calendar. Put them in your calendar, non-negotiable. Your emotional, physical well-being. You get, some of you are working yourselves to death. Emotional, physical well-being is important. Not just for this year, but for the long haul. Right? There are people that love you and need you for the long haul. And so intentionally work these things in. Okay, and, 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 and if you want, you know, I can talk a little bit more about that. I can give you guys, uh, send you guys some more uh, devotionals or information on that. Um, but make sure you create weekly rhythms where you carve out some time monthly or every every two months you know where you can take two days off every six months or two a year where you can take a week or two weeks off completely and really shut down right really shut down don't think about the work entrust it to god you know the whole idea of uh, uh what is it jubilee um no not jubilee uh what is it where you work six years the field and then the seventh year you let it rest so, so is it sabbath Oh, same thing? Oh, okay. Yeah, makes, <laughs> makes sense, right? Um, the whole point of God saying work the fields, you know, six months or six years, and then on the seventh year, don't work the fields, right? So if you have a number of fields, you work, you work them six years, and then one year you let them rest. God, God employed this, right? And so you let that, you know, uh, um, field recover. The whole idea is this. The whole idea is this. God says work hard, you know, five days. Work well. And then hit the weekend, you know, six days. Rest on the seventh day. You, you can rest on the seventh day, even though there's work to be done, even though there's always more to be done. You can rest on the seventh day. Why? Because you trust in God. You trust in God's provision. It's that simple. When, when you hit the Sabbath and you're like, I need to work, and you have that urge, then you ask this, this is the thought, this is the thought that needs to pop into your head right away. Do I trust in God for his provision? 
Yes or no? The answer is yes or no. That's the whole point. You work six years and you store up and you trust God for the seventh year. Does that make sense? You work five or six days in the office and you, and you rest on the seventh and you trust God for Monday. You absolutely believe there's nothing that God cannot do, right? That he cannot navigate or work through. And so resting can only happen if you actually trust God for your provision. You're not going to rest. You're not going to get very good rest if you don't trust God for your provision. So resting is not just a day or a physical place. It's also, you know, trusting that ultimately God, you know, has your best interests in mind. You may not get that promotion. You may not have done well on the project. You may even lose your job. But ultimately trusting God that down the line, he's going to take care of you. And if you believe that, then when Saturday hits, you can rest. And you can say, God, I trust in you for your provision. There's always more to be had, but I'm pleased. I'm pleased. I'm thankful. Another word for pleased is thankful. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for the people in, in my life. Man, God, I give you praise. I just want to spend this day just celebrating you, worshiping you. I know, even religious and scriptures aside, I know I even need the recharge. I'm not as good or as effective as I need to be. Right? And who am I kidding? If I work seven days a week and I never shut off. That, that's ridiculous. Right? Okay? Um, and so, rest is not a day. Rest is not a, a, a Sunday. Rest is not only... I don't want to define it just as a practice or as a, as a place. Ultimately, rest is a person. You find all your ultimate rest in a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened, heavy, you know, uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Right? So rest isn't just a day. Rest isn't just an idea. Rest isn't just not working. Rest isn't just trusting God. Rest is coming to Jesus. Rest, true rest, is found in Jesus. True rest is found in but, but God, I don't know that I can let this go. What if someone else takes it? But Jesus, you are more than enough for me. Lord, I, I, I'm going to trust in your provision. I want to give you a charge and then we'll close. Um, to really commit your work to God this year. To really commit and submit your work to God. All five days. You know, sometimes Saturdays are required. Right? To really commit that and then to say, but this day, this time is with me, the Lord, my family, and I'm really going to rest. I'm really going to shut off. I'm really going to trust God for his provision. I'm going to find my rest. We can only cease to strive when we really ultimately feel fulfilled in who we are in Christ. Once we are completely at peace with who we are in Christ, then this ceasing to strive, you know, this ceasing to prove ourselves, the ceasing to gain just one more, one more touch-up, one more adjustment, you know, that can be laid to rest. And then you can actually find rest in Christ. Amen. Uh, let me invite uh, Brian up. And uh, I'm inviting you guys to find new rhythms in 2023. Seek out and find new rhythms. Slow down. Learn how to slow down and do a few things well shut down, learn how to turn off and to really be present. 
right? An invitation for you to find new rhythms. You look at the scriptures in the New Testament, you see Jesus and all that he was doing, and he would often go alone to pray. He would often take his disciples to a retreat. He'd often, you know, carve out time. Be intentional. Navigate your calendar so that you guys get this rest. And by the end of the year, man, God is going to bless you. You're going you're gonna to see how God has blessed you. So let's respond and just uh, give thanks to the Lord. Through Christ, through His sacrifice, through His death and resurrection, we are now invited into the ultimate rest, the ultimate of not ceasing, actually being pleased, actually being thankful, and then being like, I'm good. God, you're good. I just want to rest in you. Jesus, thank you. I bring all my burdens. I bring all my weights to you. Okay, let's respond in worship. And then uh, we'll go to our prayer points.